Good morning. <sighs> How's everybody doing? Great. Good. Good. Some hoots. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a joy and honor uh, this morning to be able to get into the scriptures with you all. And uh, I'm really excited for what the Lord has for us at this time in history. Through his word and by the Holy Spirit. Uh, did uh, Last week, Pastor Britt gave us some homework to do, right? Remember that? Hey, read the, there's five chapters in uh, First Thessalonians. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we are beginning uh, First Thessalonians today, our study in that uh, letter. And we were encouraged last week to read a chapter a day and to find uh, something cool, something concrete, something convicting, and something about Christ. Did, uh, did you uh, do that? Were you able to get into the word? A couple nods, maybe blank. That's okay, good. Uh, please do that. Please uh, read this through. This is a wonderful letter here and such an encouragement. Um, so please do that and find something cool, something concrete, convicting, and something about Christ. And write it down, journal it, and, and think about it, and meditate on it, and uh, watch the Lord change our lives, amen, through his word. So uh, his word is very powerful. Uh, it's living and active. It's sharper than an, in a double-edged sword. His word is able to pierce down through, through the joints and the bone and into the marrow. Uh, it's, it's, it's able to get into that inner heart, inner being of man and woman. Um, it's profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. This, this, this Bible is God-breathed. It's, it's, it's God-breathed. It is His Word. And that's why it is powerful. And I am thrilled to be looking at it and, and talking about it and presenting it this morning uh, this new season that we're in, church, this new season, we're, we're starting a new study. And it, it's not just that, oh, cool, a new study. It's, it's there's something that the Lord wants to do in us. I really believe that individually and, and corporately. And I think at this time, as we are at the very beginning, it's good for us to ask ourselves and, and, and to tune in and to not just see this as a historical Lesson, you know, will we see it as just that? Will we observe only? Like, whoa, that's cool, that happened there. You know, it will be, it will be neat to see, but will we see this as God's divine word at this divine time in history for Reality Carp and Reality Ventura? And uh, I hope we do. I love this letter. I love this letter to this young church there at Thessalonica. We see the Apostle Paul's heart for this body of believers. We see how um, Paul was so not about himself. You know, he was so for this body of believers' health and to continue the message of Jesus Christ forward. This isn't just some cool historical document. It's God's word. And it's God's word for us. And boy, that's exciting. Lord, what do you want to do, right? Right? You can ask that, Lord, Father, what do you want to do? What do you want to expose here? What do you want to bring to light in my heart and my life? And uh, he, he'll, he'll reveal that. Let's, let's be willing. Let's be willing because we have a good, good Father. And so we don't want to miss what the Spirit would say to us in our times together through First Thessalonians. So let's pray and we'll get into the Word of God. Lord, thank you for your leading God, we rejoice in this time together. We rejoice, Lord, that you love us. That you are wanting to speak to us. That though this is a letter written almost 2,000 years ago, it is alive and it is for us today. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. And so God, open our hearts and minds. We want to hear from you, Lord. We don't want to miss what you have for us. Tune us in. Tune other things out. 
and be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, First Thessalonians. Uh, who do we got here involved? Who's, who's a part of this, this letter? Well, we know Paul wrote it. Uh, it's uh, Paul, Silas, uh, Luke, and Timothy, as well as the uh, church in Thessalonica are the, uh, you know, who's involved in this letter, directed towards and from and whatnot. This is a young church of newborn Christians. Uh, it's the first generation in the faith that Paul is writing to. Uh, they're, they're young in their faith, but God did and is doing some really great things in them. Paul and his companions uh, visited, uh, wrote this letter rather around 50 AD, so at the middle of the first century. This letter was penned, and they had already been up to Philippi on a missionary journey to, uh, man, to minister to the Philippians, and God did a great work there. Now they're heading down to Thessalonica. Uh, when they visited there, when they came to this city, it was already a, oh, yeah, can we? Sorry, that's my cue, the map. Look at the map. <laughs> there it is. So when, when they visited uh, Thessalonica, it was already a well-established city. You can see it. See where it says Macedonia? It's right there, uh, right there uh, below the word Macedonia. You see Thessalonica, and you get a little picture there of where it is located. Uh, the city was named after Cassander's wife. Who is Cassander? <laughs> I didn't know either, <laughs> but he was... Uh, he was one of Alexander the Great's army officials, and he named this city after his wife. And uh, that's cool. And so Thessalonica uh, occupied a very strategic position there at the head of, you see where, see where uh, that little body of water where it says Asia and Achaia and Greece, there's a body of water with all those little islands, that is the Aegean Sea. And then up where Thessalonica is, is the Thermaic Gulf. So it occupied this very strategic route from like Asia and up and Philippi all the way over to Rome. Uh, this was an established city. Uh, it was the main route between Rome and the east. Uh, Thessalonica became the capital of the Roman province, province of Macedonia. As you see there, some say it narrowly escaped being made the capital of the world. So a little history about it. It was an established city, um, influential on the main route. Uh, anybody, anybody beginning to be like, oh, okay, Lord. Lord, you are. You're, you're tactful and purposeful. You know, there, there would have been a Philippi and the Lord leads them to Thessalonica, this established city on the main route, bring the good news. God's purposeful and... Uh, that's Thessalonica. Um, today, it's called uh, Thessaloniki, and it's the second most important city in Greece. So, little historic history about Thessalonica. Uh, turn now to Acts 17, where we will see how Thessalonica was evangelized, and the church was birthed there. So, Acts 17... So this was uh, part of Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Silas was his chief missionary partner. In uh, Lystra is where Timothy joined the team. And then in Troas, Luke was added to the group. And from there, the four sailed across the Aegean Sea into Europe. And after a successful mission in Philippi, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy moved on kind of in that southwest direction to Thessalonica. And here in Acts 17, we pick up on when they arrived and, and what happened, what went down. And God did, a, God did a great move here. So let's read it. Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they, Paul and the guys, had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had 
to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace formed a mob, mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world and have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, When they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So, there's this first encounter into Thessalonica. Verse 1, we, from that, we know that there was a large enough Jewish population to warrant having a synagogue. There was a synagogue there. The Jews to gather and learn and, and whatnot. But there's a large enough population of Jews there to warrant a synagogue. And then we go on to read that Paul, for three consecutive Sabbaths, goes there. He goes there. For three weeks, three consecutive Sabbaths, he goes there, explaining, reasoning, giving evidence that Jesus had to suffer and rise again, that he is the Messiah. It's God's heart for the Jews, for the the people. Just you guys, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one. He's the one. Don't wait, he's the one. Paul went there and reasoned and and, and explained and opened up. And and Paul was confidently and passionately telling the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As a side note, I love that he got to do that for three Sabbaths. Real quick, maybe we can think about God's heart, like God's, God's ways, God's favor, God's door opening ability how come it wasn't after the first one get out of here paul you know it's 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 not in the scripture but it's fun to it's it's fun to think that look at god allowing them to stay longer so that his word can go forth so that people would come to know him and then in verse four it says some jews believed and a large number of god-fearing greeks And a number of the leading women, the church was birthed. Pretty cool, huh? There's the church. Some of those Jews believed. What joy that must have been. To come out of that religion and thought, schooling, and to say Jesus is the Messiah. And the church was birthed. Verse 5 and 6 there of Acts 17. Tells us it wasn't long before opposition arose. It says they became jealous. They became jealous. A mob was formed. There was an uproar. There was attacking Jason's house. Because they thought Jason was hiding him there. It's interesting that they, they said. These men who have upset the world have come here also. These men who have upset the world. You know, uh, the gospel is so contrary to many of the world's philosophies, right? Many man-made ideologies. The gospel will indeed upset your world. It's the power of God unto salvation. They're saying, you have upset the world, they come here also. You know, when we get saved and born again, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. Talk about your world being changed up. Whoa. Right? You know, and they said, they've come here also. Come here into our world also trying to upset us. They, they would 
They were saying, you know, that pride. You know, that, that pride of, hey, Paul, you guys, don't, don't mess with us here in Thessalonica. We're okay. We're fine. Look, look at us. Look at the beauty of this place. Look what we've done. Look what we've built. We have our synagogues. We're an established city. We're on the main route here. Don't, don't come in here. We're, we're fine. Leave us alone. We're very religious. We're an established people. We already have a king, by the way. Okay? We're fine. How dare you come here also and try to upset us? The gospel is an offense to those who are perishing, but to us who believe it is the power of God unto salvation. And real quick, I wonder for us if the little part of us where, Lord, I got my own little world, this little part, and I got it. I'm fine. I don't, I don't want you to touch that part. I don't want... I don't want You can have all this part of my life, but not this part. I have a king. King's me, and I I seem to be handling this part pretty good. (laughs) Maybe you wouldn't say that. But we can act like that, can't we, sometimes? I can. Like God's like, let me have it. I want to upset it in the most pure way for my glory, huh? Um, So verse 10, it, it, it says there that, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night, smuggled them out by night. What a radical time that must have been for not only the church there, but for Paul and the guys. Like they're there and the gospel and it, people are getting saved. The church is formed. And man, there's, there's, there's like a difference. There's a transformation. Like, and then riots and uproar and a mob and attacking and smuggled out by night. It says, Paul ended up down in Athens. Uh, he, he, he went, they sent him out by himself. He went down to Athens. And then uh, after some time, Timothy and Silas joined him. Joined him down there. And I wonder if when the guys joined Paul, that they got to talk about what had happened. Right? Because they were apart. And they got to come together. And Paul, do you remember when you're in the synagogue and so and so believed in that one guy and those leading women and the Greeks. That was radical, huh, Timothy? And God moved. And the church was birthed. I'm sure they were sharing stories, right? I mean, God did a great work. They were sharing stories. Talked about and prayed for the church. But then, you know, there was concern for him because they were young. And Paul so concerned for the situation not only in Thessalonica, but also in Philippi, that he sent out Timothy and Silas. And Timothy went to Thessalonica because Paul was concerned his heart for them, this young church. I need to know how they are. I want to hear. And so he sent Timothy to go back in order to find out what was happening and how they were doing. You know, and sending the guys back would mean that Paul would be left alone in Athens. And Paul, though he would nurse anxieties about the church there, he would remember how the word gripped them. How God came. How many got saved. He would remember the receiving and believing and the transformation that happened there. Paul would remember that they didn't come to faith by accident, but that God wanted them to become a beacon of salvation to the rest of the world. And and, and Paul would rest on that. He would know, you know, God gripped them. God did this work. And that would encourage him. Paul would be encouraged by the signs of, when he was there in Thessalonica, of faith hope and love in the believers. God did and was doing a great work there in the church. And so Timothy went and reported back to Paul. And as, as Timothy reported back to Paul, the condition of the church 
in uh, Thessalonica, Paul would be moved. Paul would be see and be moved by the Spirit of God and under, under the direction of the Holy Spirit to pen this first letter to them, to encourage them, to correct them. And that's what we see in this letter here. This first letter to the church at Thessalonica. We see thanksgiving and, and prayer for them. We see opposition. Such a young church but already facing much opposition. We see reminders for the church through this letter. Concerns for the church. We see practical instruction and and. Maybe rebukes to them of, of like sexual self-control and moral purity. Paul, Paul felt the need to write those things based on Timothy's report. He felt by the Spirit to write about brotherly love. And daily work for the gospel. Disciplined living in steadfastness. Paul mentions about death and the rapture. Paul talks about in this letter... To the Thessalonian church of living righteously in the light of the unexpectedness of Christ's return. Of fellowship and worship in the church. Of Christian conduct and basic Christian living. There's purpose and passion and power in this letter. And it's for us today, church. It's God's word for us today. In this few month season that we will be looking at it, there is purpose and there is power in it for us. I'm going to read some few verses from 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. It says, You also became partakers of us and of the Lord. Thessalonian church, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that verse. We're going to look at the verse here in chapter 2. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're going to look here in chapter 3. And may the Lord cause you, Thessalonian church, reality. To increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Just as we also do for you. We're going to look this verse in chapter 4. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. But in holy living. Thessalonians. Your bodies are for the Lord. Present them. I know. I know your temptations. I know how you're made. Give him to me. Don't go this route. Walk in purity. It's so good and it glorifies me. Another verse here in chapter 5. But since we are of the day, let us be self-controlled, having put on the breastplate of faith, love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And lastly, at the end of chapter 5, faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. You know, the Bible is God's word, right? I'll tell you what, 1 Thessalonians is one of those letters you could grab any verse and be like, whoa. And it's for us. There's a message for us, church. God loves us. So, let's turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at Just the first five verses here this morning. I'll read the first five verses. It says, Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church... Of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So we have there verse 1. Paul follows a uh, customary way of greeting there in the ancient world, um, announcing uh, themselves who's writing the letter and then who it is to, uh, whom it's written to, and then there's a greeting. And then lastly, but not always, a thanksgiving or a wishing of the reader's welfare. And Paul, Paul followed this uh, customary way of introing a letter, but he Christianized it, and I love it. It's, it's, it's so cool. It's, it's so good. And so Paul here takes the opportunity right at the very beginning of the letter to remind the church in Thessalonica of something so glorious. He says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a community which lives in God the Father And the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a source of the church's life. For us we don't gather around a man. We gather around Jesus Christ. It's unto him. It's what he has done. Paul does not hesitate. To remind the church in Thessalonica. Who their source is. Who their worship is to be unto. Who is to be adored. Who's to be. Who's to be just. Sought after. Who they gather around. It is God. It is the Father. And it is Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit. It's not Paul. It's not a man. But the living God. Jesus says in Matthew. I will build my church. And the gates of hell. Will not prevail over it. Will not overpower it. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen. That's where our affection is to go. That's where our adoration, our worship, our lives. This would remind the church there, I think, that to remind them of that they're in Christ now. And boy, that's good news too. That means there's eternal glory and riches awaiting them. We need that reminder, don't we? It would remind them that you are in the world, but you are not of the world. And then Paul goes on, he says, grace and peace. This was a mixing here of a common Jewish greeting and with a a Greek greeting. But there's more to that, I believe. Grace and peace. Paul right there sums up the glory of the gospel. Paul right there sums it up. That we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that we have peace, reconciliation with God. When we received this undeserved favor through Christ. As a result, we can have peace with one another. And that is such good news. Do you know that when sin came in the garden, there was separation, right? Separation from God. There was no more intimacy. There was this breaking and, and we became hostile towards God because of our sin, right? And we were born into it and it's like we had no choice. Like we were stuck, Right? We were stuck. We had this inherent sin that was a big, big problem in separation with God. And, and 
we go through our lives and it's like, I can't work my way into this. Who's, who's going who's gonna to take care of this sin thing for me? I can't, right? We can't in ourselves. And God, rich in his mercy and his grace, says, I love you and I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my only son to die for you. You who would receive that and believe in him as the true savior would have eternal life. Your sins would be forgiven and you're going to have peace with me. And, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get back to that intimacy that I've always wanted with you. That's nice. Grace and peace. We're not children of wrath anymore. Give peace with God. Verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. Here's this expression of thanksgiving, that continual thankful heart for one another. It's so vital to us, you know, to have a thankful heart. Would, would you agree? Thankful heart is, is uh, it's powerful. You know a thankful heart? can shatter comparison. It can shatter greed. It can shatter jealousy and envy, a thankful heart. And, and when it starts there at that bedrock of the gospel, like I was dead and now I was alive. I was born with these chains. And then you look around, you realize as we get older in life, I'm chained up here. And you look around and who's going to set me free? And here comes Christ. And uh, yeah, thankful heart. <laughs> and then thankful for hot water. Thankful for hot water. Thankful for God's provision and many things. Thankful heart. Word tells us that to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And Paul mentions to them, making mention of you in our prayers. What an encouragement! Who likes it? Anybody in here like it? You get a text, you get an email, you get a phone call, you get a letter. Someone comes up to you and they say, hey, "I've been praying for you." That's nice, right? No, you don't like that? No. <laughs> it's good. I love that. Shani, I'm praying for you. I'm like, oh, that's, wow. Not only are you praying, not only, like, you're thinking about me. I'm known to you. And, and you're thinking about me and you're praying for me. Wow. Paul is saying, I'm making mention of you in my prayer. That must have been an encouragement to the church there. And for us, don't just be a recipient of prayer, but give it pray it's powerful it's a little modeling there to the church i believe i believe they read that and maybe after reading it they were like hey let's have a prayer a time of thanksgiving and prayer church and in that time perhaps they were thanking god for paul and what was going on and it brought that hope and encouragement and so how about us reality are we thankful Prayerful people. No heavy burden here. Just, just, just you can ask your father and, and examine your heart. Am I a prayer? Am I a thankful and prayerful person? Paul will mention at the end of the letter to pray without ceasing. Paul continues his expression of thanksgiving by telling them continue like that he's continually remembering remembering their work verse 3 it says constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our lord jesus christ in the presence of our god and father what paul and his companions especially remember about the church there in thessalonica was their faith hope and love each of these these they were outgoing there, right? Your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. These were productive in the th- church there at Thessalonica. They were outgoing. They involved effort. 
This faith directed towards God. That true faith that leads to good works, right? We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, but a true act of faith, there we will want and, and we will walk in good works, right? Faith without works is dead, James, I believe, tells us. And then this love, this work of love, this labor of love done out of gratitude for the great grace of God. Like, you have wronged me so bad, but I've been messed with. And my world did get upset that I cannot not love you and extend forgiveness. That's that active love. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't seek its own. It'll speak the truth in love. Thinking the gospel through and bringing our minds and wills in line with that. A love that is practical requires effort. Hebrews tells us to let the love of the brethren continue. First John tells us that he who does not love does not know God because God is love. And we love because God first loved us. Hope. A hope in the future of the believer's eternal destiny. A hope that looks expectantly at the Lord's coming, which leads to endurance, which is that patient fortitude in the face of opposition. This would remind the church there. You have this, church. You have this faith that leads to good works. You have this love that heals and brings that connection and brings life and encouragement. You have this hope that will give you endurance and pay that patience in the face of opposition because there is opposition there. And you know it's wonderful. Many of us, if not all of us, have been disappointed to some degree or at some time in our life. Would you agree with that? Anybody been disappointed? I have. The Bible tells us that this hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. A lot of things disappoint us. But this hope, who God is, doesn't disappoint us. It's nice. (laughs) I'm glad for that. Faith, hope, and love is a brief definition of true Christianity. Amen? What the whole of Christianity consists of. An author says, together, faith, hope, and love, they completely reorientate our lives out towards others in love and on towards the coming of our Lord in hope. The new birth means little or nothing if it does not pull us out of our fallen introversion and redirect us towards God, Christ, and our fellow human beings. There's that active. And what an encouragement for this church. Maybe they rallied together upon hearing this and reminded, we have this. Let me read it again. I'd read it again. (laughs) What a reminder. We have this, church. Let's not worry about Rome. I know it's gnarly. I don't know if they said gnarly, but (laughs) maybe they said something that would... Anyway, you you know, they they probably rallied around. We have this. and, And what about us, reality? It's faith. It's hope. And this love. Show me. Right? We, we, we all would say, hey, I love you. I'll show me. You know, like, we want to be shown. Words are powerful, but we know actions. This, this act of faith. Let this encourage us and, and redirect us where we need to be. Verse 4, and this is so powerful. I love this verse. It says, knowing brethren beloved by God, his choice of you brethren he says Paul's saying I'm with you I'm with you in spirit I'm with you we're together we're a part of the body I'm not there in person I want to be but I can't at this time I'm with you I 
Then he says, beloved by God. He says, beloved by God. He says, remember, remember Thessalonians, Thessalonian church, you're the beloved of God. And boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? We get saved, we're the beloved of God. It says, his choice of you. Remember, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you. This was to foster assurance, not presumption. This was to foster holiness, not moral apathy. Humility, you know, it's foster humility, not pride and, and witness, not a lazy uh, selfishness here. It's a reminder to the church that God had done a great work in you. Use it to serve one another in love. And I love it that before anything, before, it's like you're the beloved of God. Okay, you know when Jesus, before any public ministry, gets baptized, and he comes up and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Before he did any public ministry, God loved him and was well pleased with him. Same for you, Christian. That's hard for some of us. I got to work. I got I to do things to gain God's love. No, you don't. <laughs> You're the beloved of God. But with that, there is a good work prepared before you. Don't believe lies. It's probably communicated, you know, maybe this shattered some lies of gosh, well, those guys came and this is so hard right now. You know, like, who am I? Like, people's lives got transformed and maybe there's a temptation there for some in Thessalonica for the Jews to go back, you know, to that old religion or whatever and, and the, the God-fearing Greeks to go back to their, I don't know, just old way of life. And, and, and this would say, you're the beloved of God. He chose you at this time, Thessalonians, church. So chatter lies. The new identity. You're not a sinner. You've been born again. You're not a sinner. Yes, we do still sin, but that does not define you. You are a son and a daughter of God. Oh, I'm worthless. What was spoken over me as a kid or in my life, I'm just worthless. I'm a mistake. No, you're not. You're the beloved of God. You have great worth. Verse 5, it says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. The planting of the church there in Thessalonica was a result of the gospel coming forth in more than words. Words are important, right? (laughs) Words are important. The gospel is a word, right? It's a message. There's, There's words there that create a message. Words matter, and the gospel has a specific content. Words matter, but Paul's saying it wasn't just words, but it was in power. There was power that, that was undergirding these words. The word is powerful because it's God-breathed. It's like a fire and a hammer, the scriptures tell us. It cuts down, remember? It like can fillet us open. It can, it can get in there. We're willing get into our heart, open it up. And it'll go in and shed light. And don't be afraid of that. Those dark areas, let the word dwell in there. Bring truth. It's powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. He says that in Romans. And it's only by the internal operation of the Holy Spirit that power comes in our words that can penetrate people's mind, heart, conscience, and will. Excuse me. 
It's power in this message. And let that encourage us today. We have this message. And it's powerful. He says there in that last verse, full conviction. He was so confident. Paul was sure of this message, of its truth, of its relevance, and could therefore proclaim it boldly. Paul was taken hold of, wasn't he? On that road as Saul, persecutor of Christians, wicked man. And God says, I want you. Blinds him by a bright light, just upsets his world. Now you're going to have this love. You're going to go and you're going to be my mouthpiece. What? That's so cool. He had this full conviction. And so in telling them, Paul was so gripped and transformed by this gospel. It wasn't about him. It was about Christ and he could proclaim it boldly. It's truth. And for us, how is our confidence? Is there some doubt creeping in there? Is, is, there, is there a need to accept this once again of like, yeah, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to choose today to believe that. This is God's word. And, and do we need courage today? You know, you can ask the Lord, give me courage. He's okay with that. He's our father. It's okay to say, Lord, I feel weak. I don't even know how to talk, talk to my coworker. I don't even know how to... God's like, are you willing? Yeah, okay. Leave it up to me. And then he says, we proved. We proved to be for your sake. Paul and his companions' ministry was exercised in public and witnessed by many. I'm sure they were with him in private too. Maybe they had talks with them they witness their character, their preaching, their living. The Thessalonians, they're the Christians there would remember it well. They would remember these guys that came. And for three Sabbaths, they reasoned and they brought this truth of Jesus Christ. And it has gripped us. They would remember them. And they did it, not for their own glory. It wasn't about Paul or Timothy. There was no masking in these guys, there was no pretending. There was no sordid gain. There was no taking advantage of. They would remember the divine encounter of God through these three ordinary men. They would remember them, their character as the messengers of God. So there's a deep love. There's a connection there. Paul's heart was grieved and when he heard about the condition of the church there, but he was hopeful and he remembered what had taken place, that it was not a mistake. That it was not some emotional feeling, that it was not some just brainwashing or whatever. It was the truth of Jesus Christ that had come. And set men and women free. And Paul would be encouraged by that. But he knew that the Thessalonian church was in need of reminders. We're all in need of reminders of truth, aren't we? Doubt and fear and lies can sneak in, can't they? And we need truth to displace those, don't we? We need truth to come and say, whoa, yeah, I'm the beloved of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. We need correction and encouragement, don't we? To continue on in holy living in expectation of Christ's return. To actively walk in faith, hope, and love. We need correction and encouragement, don't we? No, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't, don't give your body into sexual immorality. I have something better for you. And in greed... Love one another. I know, I know how you were wronged, but let me move in you and cause forgiveness to come, Spirit would say, and, and, and allow love to abound. Love covers a multitude of sin. Yes, this letter was, you know, to the young church in Thessalonica a long time ago. 
But it's also a letter to our hearts and our church today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I do. And we don't want to miss what the Spirit would be saying to us, reality, in our time in First Thessalonians. And so, I'd like to encourage us to turn to your spouse, turn to a friend, come up to the prayer team, or by yourself. As we worship, as we head into our time of worship, to ask the Lord, what do you want to speak to me through your word at this specific time? What do you want to show me about my life and choices through First Thessalonians? Daddy, open my heart. Father, I'm having such a hard time believing I'm the beloved of you. Can you? Can you confirm that once again? Don't miss this, church. I don't want to miss it, what the Spirit would say to us. Lord, thank you for this time together. Come, Lord Jesus. Minister to our hearts. Pray, God, against any fear in this room. Lord, I ask today that you would even shatter doubt. You would shatter lies. Lord, that first we all would be reminded that we are the beloved. Would you cement that once again to us? And then, Lord, we want to go and actively live out this life. But first... Remind us of our belovedness. Have your way with us, Lord. We we open our hearts to you. This is no mistake. This is purposeful. We want all that you have for us in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.